Welcome to OB Wannabes, an educational podcast about obstetrics and gynecology and women's health for medical students and women's healthcare providers. Hi, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of OB Wannabes. Today, we're really excited. We're going to be talking about what is OB-GYN as a specialty and um, as a profession. I'm your co-host, Shelby Feliciano. And I'm Cassie McDiarmid. Yeah, so before we get started, uh, Cassie is currently on her OBGYN core rotation. And uh, we mentioned this last week, but we're both third-year students. So Cassie, what are your first impressions about OB-GYN? I'm loving it so far. I know you did the same rotation earlier in the year, um, so I a little bit uh, knew what to expect. I was nervous going into it because I had never seen a delivery before or a C-section. So I was worried that maybe I wouldn't be interested or it just wouldn't be for me. But on my first night, I got to be a part of a vaginal delivery and scrub in for a C-section and came home very happy knowing that this is definitely what I want to do with my life. It's been a lot of fun on the L&D floor. We're on the L&D floor all month. So working with um, expectant mamas and coming in for any concerns that they have, getting to do deliveries and um, C-sections and everything. It's been really great. That's so cool. Like that must be really affirming to, you know, get in there and realize like, yes, I've been right all all along. I really do want to deliver babies. (laughs) Yes. A huge relief because I was very nervous when the first day came. I was so excited. But at the same time, I was like, "Uh uh-oh, what if, what if I don't like this and I have to reconfigure my whole life now? But (laughs) good news. We're, we're still fans and uh, it's still the plan. We're good. That's so cool. And how crazy is it that you got to help with the delivery and uh, scrub into a C-section on your first day? I know. I was shocked when I got home. I couldn't believe it. I'm lucky the residents that we're working with are so nice and helpful and told them that I'm interested in ob And immediately they were like, great, we're going to bring you to everything and show you as much as we can. So it's been a really, really great experience so far. I'm a little sad. I've only got about a week and a half left, but I'm also very excited. Yeah, it goes fast. I mean, because everything's so fast paced when you're there. Um, what I really like about the LND floor is you kind of feel like you're part of a team. Um, like, I don't know, we both did sports in high school. And so when you're in the room, when someone's delivering, everyone's cheering and they're like, come on, girl, like push, push a little longer. You got it. Take a deep breath. And it's like so emotional. Yeah, it's. <laughs> been really great and it's unfortunate that with COVID it's a little bit different I'm glad at this hospital uh, every mom's allowed to have a support person in the room with her when she's um, in labor and admitted and getting ready to deliver so that she doesn't have to be alone but I'm also glad that they have um, such a great team so the doctors if there's a midwife who's treating the patient the midwife the nurses um, and everyone's just there you know to cheer her on because it's definitely not like in the movies. It does not go fast. It takes a really long mm-hmm. time. And it's some of the, t- of the first time moms are, they're pushing. And they're like, is it, is, is it, is it done? Am I there yet? Are we, are we good? And they're like, oh, you know, you're, you're moving baby down, but we're not quite there yet, but we're getting there. And yeah, it's a lot longer than you would think it would take based on how it's portrayed in the media. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, and with epidurals now, if if they work well, they don't feel as much of that intense labor pain. So you don't have that TV drama of like screaming at the top of their lungs. But there was one um, one woman that delivered when I was on that rotation where I literally came to her room because I heard her screaming from like across the hallway. <laughs> and it turned out that she had plans, you know, to have an epidural, but she didn't get to the hospital in time oh, and she no. was like ready to push. And she was cussing and she was like, ow, ow, oh my God, this is so painful. And um, I actually found that that delivery to be almost just as emotional to be a part of as when I actually helped deliver a baby because you know, being there for someone when they're in that intensive pain. Um, And I remember she was like squeezing her partner's hand on one side of the bed. Every time she had a contraction, she was like, ow, ow, ow. And I was standing on the other side and I'm like, I don't know her that well. She probably doesn't want to hold a stranger's hand. I'm just going to like set my hand on the railing in case she needs it. And then she had this really intense contraction and I just took her hand and she was like, squeezing my hand and I don't know it was such an emotional experience (laughs) yeah just getting to be a part and cheer them on it's something that's so unique um there's nothing else like it in the world that you can go through and even every mom every delivery is going to be a little bit different for them a different experience so it's really cool to be able to be there with them through that um even though we haven't gone through that ourselves and We're not able to be like, I know what you're feeling, you know, we know that it's hurting a lot and, but you're going to get there and, you know, baby's going to be here soon. So, but that moment when you put baby, um, on mommy's chest and you hear baby cry for the first time, it's, there's just, it's something so special about it. I know. It's also really sweet. Um, a lot of the hospitals, they play a little lullaby over the intercom across the whole hospital. I thought it was just on the L&D floor. It's like everywhere. They're like, baby just was born. Like, check it out. <laughs> yeah. One night we had uh, three deliveries all that happened at the same time. And everyone's like, all right, push the button. You hear the lullaby. Okay, next one. You're just over and over. <laughs> it was, but it was really cool. Um, mm-hmm. Hopefully to bring hope to some people and happiness. So, Absolutely. I'm glad you're enjoying it. That's really exciting. Thanks. Yeah. Um, and you're so, yeah. You're on IM right now, right? Internal medicine. I am. Yeah. So I'm trying that out and I've liked it a lot more than I expected. So my uh, journey to figuring out what specialty I want to go into is not getting any easier. Um, <laughs> so now I'm thinking about, you know, a few things. Do I want to only work with women I really love working with women so that has to be part Mm -hmm. of it but um do I only want to work with you know women's health obstetrics gynecology breast health do I want to get more into you know do I want to keep cardiology in there pulmonology all that kind of stuff um which you can still be a part of that part of their care um especially in pregnancy if you're a high-risk ob um but you know just thinking about what I want my practice to look like Um, and then deciding are surgeries important to me? I don't know. There's so many different aspects. Yeah. (laughs) Those those are all good things to think about too, when you're deciding. I know 
most of our listeners are probably not like me where they came in like very gung-ho this is what I want to do um so it's important to think about those things and I'm definitely on the side of the exceptions not the rule most most students are still trying to figure it out and think about those you know what's important how do you come to that decision what matters to you and taking a look at those differences like you mentioned yeah absolutely and I think um with the time commitment that's involved with ob I think anyone that's interested in it should make really sure that that's like absolutely what they want to do. So um, definitely working on that. Uh, I have a gynecology oncology rotation next month. So we'll see how that sways me. <laughs> I know we're excited to hear about that when we do some future episodes. And I think now that we're talking about it, we should do another episode on you know, what residency looks like with the hours, what your training is, um, obviously varies by program, but kind of a general idea of what that is. So people get an idea. And obviously, residency is not the rest of your life. But it is, you know, those four years after you finish school, what's that going to look like, if you choose to Mm -hmm. go down this path? Yeah, absolutely. I think that'll be good to to talk about. um, Especially because people say, oh, OB-GYN residency is rough, but how so? (laughs) Yeah. Well, Um, since we're on the topic, let's go ahead and dive into what exactly is OB-GYN and what do OB-GYNs do. So we're going to start off with a little history of OB-GYN and medicine and, you know, how it came to be. Um, So OB-GYN is obstetrics and gynecology. Um, Gynecology is derived from a Latinized form of the Greek gyneco, which is a combination of gyne, meaning woman or female, that comes from the Proto-Indo-European root gwen and the French logi of study of. So the root of gynecology is study of women, basically, um, which, you know, makes sense. Gynecologists, (laughs) women's healthcare. So uh, gynecology has really been a part of medicine for a very, very long time, all the way back to, you know, Greco-Roman civilization. Uh, There's a manuscript they have that's dated back to about 1800 BC. Um, And I'm probably going to butcher how to say this, but it's the Cahun Gynecological Papyrus. Um, And yeah, and it's really cool. In the papyrus, this manuscript, they talk about all manners of women's health, including contraception, um, which I thought was really interesting that, you know, even back in 1800 BC, they're making sure to educate and think about these things. And um, it's so important enough to be written down. Absolutely. Wow, that's so cool. I didn't realize it went back that far. Yeah. Um, In America, the, you know, the first surgeries on uh, like the ovaries and the uterus were successful in early to mid 19th century. And uh, American surgeon, Dr. James Marion Sims, uh, he's considered the father of modern gynecology. Although it is re- he is a really controversial uh, character, the way that he uh, developed all of his surgical skills and, um, you know, came to these to figure out what worked best is that he uh, was practicing and performing surgeries on his slaves with no anesthesia. So he would invite other physicians and students over to his backyard where he was doing um, these surgeries on women with absolutely no anesthesia. A lot of it was figuring out how to Uh, repair fistulas actually um so that's it is very controversial but he is considered the father of uh, modern gynecology oh my gosh yeah it's crazy um throughout our medical school education we learn about 
you know, these founders of a lot of the things that we learn and they have very sketchy history attached to them. Um, but it's important to know, you know, know both sides of mm -hmm. it. Unfortunately, we can't erase the knowledge that we've gained, but it's good to have that um, understanding of where it came from. Mm -hmm. um, just as a sidebar, would highly recommend um, The Immortal Life of Henrietta Lacks. Great book that kind of talks yeah. about, you know, medical ethics, uh, especially with women's health. And, you know, we've come a long way with um, growing cell culture because of the cells they obtained from that patient. But um, unfortunately, you know, without her permission. So yeah, I would recommend that book as a sidebar. Yeah, no, <laughs> great, uh, great book, definitely. And a lot of ethical discussions come up. And that's just one of many in this uh, kind of vein of, you know, this is the re where the research came from, where we came to this knowledge is something that was unethical, that's not okay. And how can we kind of reconcile that with what it's done for us now and where we're at now? Um, like you said, we can't go back and change anything, but definitely important to know where this comes from. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. So uh, one of the difficulties they actually had with doing surg gynecological surgery back in the day was that there was um, a prejudice against the exposure or examination of female sexual organs. So hmm. whether it was, you know, cutting in to do um, a hysterectomy or anything like that, it was exposing the organ. So uh, a lot of the early gynecologic surgeons kind of had to fight against that. Uh, once anesthesia and uh, antiseptic methods were developed, that really helped a lot. I'm not entirely certain how that made a difference in the exposure examination of the organs, but it was definitely a lot safer um, mm -hmm. and hopefully less painful because they were able to help with that. So that's kind of Absolutely. the history of... Uh, gynecology and gynecologic surgery. So next we have obstetrics, uh, which comes from the word obstetrics, Latin for midwife. Uh, this derives from the word obstar or obstare, which means to stand before. So where this came from is that the midwife would stand in front of a woman giving birth in order to catch the baby. So that's kind of where that term came from. So yeah, definitely. <laughs> So prior to the 1700s, um, women were the midwives. They were there. They were helping with deliveries. Um, and it was really a very female-based and female-oriented experience and event. The only time a surgeon was called, and of course at the time surgeons were, I think, almost exclusively male, um, but that was a last resort. Uh, it was kind of, you know, there were complications, things that couldn't be handled that they needed help with. And... Uh, someone's probably going to die. And that's when the, the surgeon got called. Uh, it was actually considered offensive to have men deliver um, the baby. And it was, you know, intrusive and offensive to the woman's honor and her virtue. Uh, Interesting. Yeah. Uh, and then even in the 1800s in Europe, the College of Physicians and Surgeons considered delivering babies to be ungentlemanly work. So it was strictly a purview of women. Women were the midwives. Midwives were the ones responsible. Um, and the ones who took care of all of this. Um, this obviously mm -hmm. definitely changed. And actually, historically, um, the field of OB-GYN was very male-dominated, mainly because once OB-GYN was accepted as a medical specialty, uh, most of the physicians and were male. And so 
who else can do it but the men because there weren't that many women. So now it's definitely a lot more women, definitely still some men in the field, which is great. I know um, some women prefer to have a female doctor. Some prefer to have a male. Some could care less either way. So um, it's really interesting to see how that's kind of changed um, over the years. Uh, so the um, back in 1668 actually was the first time that they did the suturing of perineum after delivery. So for those of you that don't know, during a vaginal delivery, sometimes uh, a woman can tear um, her tissues uh, when baby's born. Um, so you'll have to, if it's deep or it continues to bleed, you'll have to stitch it up. So that was the, actually the first time. And what they did was they cleaned it with red wine and then did three or four stitches. <laughs> yes. <laughs> was it the same wine that they were letting the woman drink now that she's delivered baby and she's been through so much pain? I hope she got something nice out of it, but definitely not something <laughs> I, I, you know, in the movies, they always got the alcohol, your, you know, hard proof liquor that you use to clean for antiseptic but never thought of wine as something to be used yeah interesting thinking of it now it'd definitely be hard to see if you'd achieved hemostasis being that (laughs) you can't tell what's blood and what's wine Mm -hmm. yeah yeah it's a different type of red blend if you ask me (laughs) definitely I'm sorry. So, <laughs> so um, then we have the first successful um, C-section in modern times was done um, in f- the 1500s, actually, was by a Swiss sew gilder. Um, he asked for permission and received permission to operate on his wife, who had been in labor for several days, cut her open. Baby was born, mom, baby both fine. And she went on actually to have several successful vaginal deliveries after this. So that's actually the first um, successful C-section. Originally, they didn't have anesthesia for C-section, so they'd be cutting open women um, to get baby out with absolutely no anesthesia. Um, So they'd be feeling everything. Oh, my goodness. And then in the 1880s, they had the classical uh, cesarean section, which would be the incision, um, you know, down midline. Um, not something that's, it's not as common nowadays. I think usually only, um, in an emergency, if they are not able to do it through the, uh, lower segment. And then in 1906, that's when the lower segment, um, cesarean section. So that's, you know, your, your typical, right around the bikini line, transverse cut, um, and doing the incision that way. So that's when it was introduced and it's definitely, um, kind of become the, I guess, the gold standard of cesarean sections. Um, And then the first time they heard fetal heart tones was in 1827. So really cool that they, you know, were able to start hearing and um, listening to baby's heartbeat in utero. And definitely something that's just such a huge part now um, in labor and delivery. I know first thing we do when a mom comes in and I think I'm in labor. Uh, we slap on a fetal heart monitor and uh, the tachometer to measure her contractions and to keep an eye on baby's heart rate to make sure baby's doing okay. So all those have been around for a very long time. And then these two different fields became one specialty kind of late in the 1800s um, is kind of when they uh, were brought together. Definitely makes sense. There's a lot of overlap between the two um, 
mm-hmm. obviously gynecology, the study of women's and women's healthcare, and then looking at obstetrics and something that requires, you know, female reproductive organs to occur. So it makes sense to bring them together like that. Absolutely. One stop shop. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and so now we're kind of going to talk a little bit about what is OB-GYN as a field. Um, now that we've learned about the history and where it came from, if you're going to go into OB-GYN today, what does that look like? So I know when I was younger and I said I wanted to go into this, a lot of people would be like, oh, they would either think I wanted to be an obstetrician and that I was, oh, you're going to deliver babies. That's great. Um, Or that I was going to be a gynecologist, but not Mm -hmm. really both at the same time. And I think that's something that kind of can sometimes get forgotten is that uh, when you go into this training for OB-GYN, you're getting both obstetrics and gynecology. It all comes together. You can choose... Uh, if you are more passionate about one or the other, you know, to focus on that, or even at different stages of your life. Um, A lot of historically, it would be, they would do obstetrics when they were younger. And as they got older, kind of transitioned more into gynecologic care that they would be giving. Nowadays, you can do all of it, you can do one, you can do uh, switch around or whatever you like. So very uh, versatile. So um, in OB, which is means of or pertaining to a midwife or midwife, midwifery, midwifery. Tomato, okay. tomato. <laughs> Gonna look that one I up like later. Midwifery. midwifery. <laughs> yeah. Um, I just know the TV show called The Midwife. Right. Yeah. Great uh, show. It's on Netflix, and there's a book too. If anyone's interested, really fun. Um, but this is the field of study that's mainly focused on pregnancy, childbirth, and the postpartum period. So you're taking care of mom through her pregnancy, but you're making sure baby's healthy too, all the way through delivery. Uh, what this kind of is consists of is, um, you know, the prenatal care, um, intrapartum care and postpartum care. So when mom is pregnant, when mom's um, in the process of going through labor and she's delivering, and then in that postpartum period as well. And something that isn't as often discussed, and I think uh, is kind of, something that's missed in our care system is um, preconception care. It's something we're definitely taught that is important and that we need to do, but uh, our patients don't always come in. So uh, before they're pregnant, usually it's, oh, I'm pregnant. What do I do now? But preconception care is really important too. So um, there's a lot of ways that we can take advantage of that and educate the importance of uh, different things, whether it be folic acid supplementation, because that's something that you're going to want even before you get pregnant. Um, and right. you know, about three months before you got to make sure you have it in there. So, um, thinking about all of those things is really important. Um, besides, you know, obviously you're doing your vaginal delivery cesarean sections, there's going to be ectopic pregnancies, um, dealing, um, with any miscarriages, spontaneous abortions, um, any other, you know, medical or surgical abortions, that's also kind of all in, rolled into there. A lot of these, it's tough because it kind of goes under both. And it's not that, oh, only one or the other, because obviously in your training, you get trained for all of this. Right. Yeah. And then if you're interested in just um, OB and that's something that you're super passionate about and you're like, I want to deliver babies and, you know, I want to work with pregnant women and um, help with this process, uh, you can be a laborist which is actually who we, uh, Shelby and I have been working with, with our um, rotation that for OB, we're on the floor with the laborists. And what you kind of, it's kind of like 
um, you're doing a shift. So you go into the hospital, you're there for your 12 hour shift and you are uh, responsible uh, for delivering any woman who comes in and delivers during your shift if their physician isn't able to make it there in time. So that's one of the options that you can do. And then you're just, you know, working with that. Um, there's also uh, MFM or maternal fetal medicine, which is that high risk pregnancy, kind of the medicine doctors of um, obstetrics. So managing any care, uh, kind of like how Shelby, you were mentioning this earlier, you know, if you want to keep that cardio and pulmonology and kind of that internal medicine combined with OB and dealing with working with women's health, um, this is kind of the right place to be is uh, working on the with the maternal fetal medicine and um, being able to manage any, you know, uh, chronic hypertension, things like that. Um, those more complicated and high risk things. Mm-hmm. And then there's also family planning, uh, which kind of has multiple aspects. You're not only working on education and contraception, but also um, abortion providers as well. So that's something I think that's really important. Um, obviously, uh, all ob are trained in providing abortion. Um, it's something that if you choose to go into family planning, you have extra um, training in um, and are able to provide that as well. But of course, all OBs um, are capable of providing. It's up to them if they are comfortable with it or not. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we also have uh, reproductive endocrinology and infertility. So kind of, str- I think, feel like more straddles the two topics are of obstetrics and gynecology, working with um, infertility and uh, all of that. So that's kind of the basics of obstetrics, the obstetric side of this. And then we also have um, gynecology, which is the science of women's health and the diseases unique to women. <laughs> so really looking at anything that's going to uh, affect a woman's uh, female reproductive organs, um, you know, uterus, cervix, ovaries, um, the actually, I've, I found this fact, I thought it was really interesting. The first recorded vaginal hysterectomy was accidental and unplanned, and it happened in 1812. Oh, no. I'm not really sure um, how you accidentally remove a uterus through the vagina. And I'm definitely going to be looking more into that. But I thought it was a really interesting fact. Yeah, my guess would maybe be, I know that... Um... Sometimes you can have a uterine prolapse during delivery. So maybe something like that happened. Oh, and, they, and then they're like, yeah, that's true. You can't put it back. I don't know. That's disturbing. Yes. Um, <laughs> but an interesting fact. <laughs> and, and then the first abdominal hysterectomy was in 1853. So about, you know, 40 years later, they did it planned through the abdomen. Um So you're also working with, uh, you know, the female reproductive organs. So any disease, um, cancer, infections related to female reproductive organs. Some of these are things that affect both men and women. But as a gynecologist, you're looking at how are they affecting women? Um, So looking through that. So Shelby, you're going to be on Gynonc next month and kind of looking in all of that and working with um, cancers Mm -hmm. affecting the female reproductive tract. Yeah, that'll be exciting to see kind of a focused... GYN um, specialty. And our plan is later on uh, on the show, in future episodes, we're going to have different subspecialists in OB-GYN come on and talk about what their 
um, sub subspecialty is like. So that'll be interesting to hear. Uh, I think even their lifestyle can differ quite a bit depending on what you do within ob -GYN. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so yeah, looking at that, looking at um, incontinence, obviously affects both men and women, but specifically uh, uh, female pelvic organ prolapse um, and things like that. Anything related to the menses or you know the menstrual period, whether it's um, pain, if it's abnormal, if it's not there, if it's missing, you haven't had it, um, whatever it is, that's all under gynecology um, and contraception as well. Um, and then within that, you can look at as uh, this different subspecialty. So gynecologic oncology, as we mentioned, um, urogynecology or female pelvic medicine and reconstructive surgery, working a lot with uh, prolapse um, and surgeries for that. Um, and I'm actually going to be doing that in January. So I'm excited to kind of see a little bit more as like you said, on the gyn side of things. Um, and then there's minimally invasive gynecologic surgery, which is kind of newer to the field and is um, a, becoming recognized, but a, definitely a great option. So in your training, it's combined. You learn both obstetrics and gynecology. You can choose if you practice both or if you want to focus on one or the other, how you want to do that. Uh, you get to do surgery. Uh, one of the really cool things is that you get both medicine and surgery in this specialty. Um, so things, cesarean sections, um, hysterectomies, if you need tubal ligations, a hysteroscopy, going in uh, diagnostic laparoscopies, um, surgeries for prolapse, or cervical procedures as well. And there's a lot of um, procedures too, like colposcopies, um, placement of, you know, an IUD or um, any other of those uh, long-term contraceptions, um, endometrial biopsies, so that those are things you can do in the office. Uh, you also have that patient relationship, um, really working on uh, counseling and education of your patients. So as we mentioned earlier, you know, that education is something that's really, really important um, to get to your patients. So kind of like why choose OB-GYN? I think there's just some like really cool things about it. You know, it's part medical, part surgical. Um, you get that longitudinal care that you get to build that relationship with patients. Um, Shobhan, I don't know if you have any other things about why you think someone should choose OB-GYN or consider it. Right. Yeah. I think one thing that's attractive kind of um, regarding the longitudinal care, you not only get to see someone, you know, for a couple of years while they're in their reproductive you know, age, but also you can see them from basically the time that they, um, maybe they start their menses or they're, they become sexually active in their teens all the way until menopause and beyond. Um, so you can really, the longitudinal care can go for an, a woman's entire lifetime. Um, so personally, I think that that opportunity for a long-term, you know, relationship with your patients is really attractive about OB-GYN. Um, and, you know, you get to be there for them during, you know, hopefully one of the most exciting parts of their lives when they're having children and delivering, but then, you know, also there for them in the tough times, even something that every, everyone goes through, menopause can be really tough. Um, so I think something that's attractive as a woman to go into this field is that, well, 
experience a lot of the same things. And so we can truly empathize with them, you know, when they have uh, struggles. (laughs) Yeah, definitely. It's not that uh, it's not, but um, having a male doctor tell you that, you know, oh, I understand what you're going through um, versus a female doctor. If it's something that's related to women or exclusive to women, can be a little bit different. So I know a lot of the really great male OB-GYNs often say, you know, I, I can't com- understand or like really fathom what it is that you're going through or what you're experiencing, but I'm here for you. So I think that that's something that's been really important too. Yeah. So that's kind Absolutely. of uh basics of uh, obstetrics and gynecology as a field and what you do when you practice and like Shelby mentioned, you know, you really get to work with women of all ages. Um, so it's really cool. And we'll be talking in a few episodes about, you know, the well women visit um, and different aspects of providing care as an OBGYN. Yeah, that was great. Um, I, I definitely learned a lot. Uh, I mean, all of the background history is super interesting. So thanks for doing the research on that, Cassie. Yeah, it was, it was a lot of fun and very some very interesting things that I, I learned about. So really cool to see how everything has developed and how we figured out to be where we're at with everything. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So next week, uh, we're being joined by a second year OB-GYN resident from UNLV. Her name is Dr. Melody Rasuli. And she's going to be talking to you a little bit about the path of becoming an OB-GYN and the different options um, for more specialized training once you go through OB-GYN residency. Yeah, so we're really excited to have that talk with Dr. Rasuli and see how to get to be where she's at and kind of follow that pathway. So um, if you guys have any questions, you can feel free to email us, let us know. If there's anything you want us to discuss, let us know. We're excited that you joined us this week and we'll see you next week. We are third-year medical students at Toro University of Nevada College of Osteopathic Medicine, and we are student members of ACOG, the American College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists, and ACUG, the American College of Osteopathic Obstetricians and Gynecologists. The views expressed in this episode are not representative of any of these organizations, and this podcast is not affiliated or associated with any of these organizations.